This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. Got a ton of questions from Steelers Nation today, but Labs, I'm not going to read any of them until you promise me, promise me, that there's going to be some Steelers quarterback talk in here. I won't. I will not do it unless there is. Um. Okay, let's go. I'll promise. <laughs> I, that I, easy, huh? I didn't think. I didn't think there were any other kind of questions that out there except <laughs> except quarterback questions. Well, Beth Golmer from Decatur, Georgia, has our first question, and it doesn't have to do with quarterbacks. Do you think Kendrick Green will be able to bulk up a bit and turn into a decent guard? I'm surprised they stayed with him at center when he was so obviously overmatched at the position. Um, well, Beth, all due respect to your uh, personnel evaluating skills, <laughs> but um, I, I, can ju- I, I, I can just tell you that neither the head coach nor the general manager uh, agrees with you that uh, Kendrick Green uh, is incapable uh, of playing center. Um, you know, uh, Kevin Colbert had a media availability just uh, at the start of this week. And, um, you know, uh, and he talked about that. Um, and he said, um, here's just a, we know Kendrick can play guard. We know that he can play center. So, you know, then he also, he, he admitted that, you know, we'll see where we go in the next few months as far as whether that's the best option uh, in terms of what position he plays. Um, but um, they, the Steelers are not giving up on him as a center, nor are they giving up on him as a starting offensive lineman. And, you know, already Kendrick Green has enlisted uh, some help from Marquise Pouncey. You might remember him. Uh, he, you know, he played it okay for a little while uh, during his career, and he is working out with Pouncey this offseason. So uh, I did talk, also talk to Craig Wolfley, who knows a little bit about uh, playing offensive line in the NFL, and Wolfley said that he believes that Kendrick Green's issues were not with strength, but more with technique and learning how to um, – transition from snapping the ball to the quarterback and, you know, getting his hands and, um, you know, his butt, uh, you know, and all feet in the, in the proper position to deal with bull rushes. So, um, you know, Kendrick Green may be a work in progress, um, but, um, you know, to characterize him as anything less than a work in progress, I think is a mistake at this point. And when Kevin Colbert spoke earlier this week, he put some clarity on his reduced role later in the year. It wasn't all performance-based. He was dealing with injuries throughout the end of the season, and that's why he had to sit on the bench for a couple games. Yeah, and, you know, the, a calf injury, when you're talking about a, a player who is trying to anchor, yes. you know, against bull rushing, you know, a lot of that is legs, but, you know, strength in that area of your body. And so, um, based on what Kevin said, again, I think that that was part of uh, some of the issue that Kendrick Green was having with that particular aspect of center play. Brent Brown Jr. from Stone Mountain, Georgia asks, with Ben Roethlisberger retiring, oh, here we go, Labs. What position, I was just going to say, what (laughs) position did he play? Here we go. The Steelers could have a number of quarterbacks competing for the number one spot. Considering mini camps, OTAs, and training camp, how many quarterbacks could the Steelers have in the building before the ability to evaluate them is impacted? 
Well, um, you know, the Steelers always take four quarterbacks to training camp, not more than four and certainly not less than four. Right. And the reason the number four is the Steelers are a team that believes in keeping three on the 53, three quarterbacks on the 53 man roster. And so, you know, you know, you, you don't want to just have enough when you have 90 players at camp and practices and, you know, all the receivers who need thrown to and running backs who need thrown to tight ends who need thrown to. Okay. So that's why they always take four. Okay. Right now they have two under contract, Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins, who while a restricted free agent, Kevin Colbert did indicate that he will be tendered and, you know, restricted free agents. If, um, by some, um, freak of uh, the NFL, some team would um, offer Dwayne Haskins a contract or present him with an offer sheet that he would sign and then take to the Steelers. Being a restricted free agent, um, the Steelers would have the right to match or receive draft pick compensation in return. And so, you know, let's not forget that Dwayne Haskins was waived. Um, by the Washington football team, and he the cleared waivers. Now labs. Come on, get it right. Well, it was the Washington football oh, okay. team. Okay, you know what? You're right. I'll slap myself uh, on the yeah. wrist there. Sorry, I got excited. <laughs> I got excited. <laughs> um, um, so the Steelers would have the right to match, and if they didn't match the offer sheet, then they would receive comp- draft pick compensation. So um, if the Steelers tender Dwayne Haskins at the original round tender, which means the compensation coming back would be the round in which the player was originally drafted. Okay, he was a first-round pick. Right. Do you think anybody, any team that had a chance to – no, I'm not disparaging Dwayne Haskins. I'm just saying this. A team that passed on him, that could have had him for nothing, is now going to give up a first-round pick for him. That's what I'm laughing Based on – oh, okay. Um, So – there will be two under contract here, um, you know, before the draft because restricted free agency ends before the draft. Okay. So the Steelers are going to add a couple more. Now I remember in 1996, Bill Cower uh, had a, a quarterback competition after Neil O'Donnell, who had been the uh, starter in 95, signed a big free agent deal with the Jets. So the Steelers had at the time, uh, Jim Miller, who was a draft pick, Mike Tomczak, who was an unrestricted free agent that they had signed years before, and Cordell Stewart, who was a draft pick. So Bill Cower tried to conduct a three-way competition for the for the job for the starting job, and he will he has admitted more than once, both shortly after that process and then, you know, even after he retired, that three is too many. You can't get reps. You can't, you know, you're because you're trying to see everybody else too. It's not, you know, you're not just conducting a quarterback competition. You're also trying to cut a roster from ninety to fifty-three. So, um, Bill Cowher's opinion was, and still is, I believe, that three is too many for a competition. So once you get to camp, you kind of have to have it boiled down to the two guys you think are your two best. Um, So that's, I don't believe that there's going to be any more than four quarterbacks uh, on the 90 man roster at any point. And I would think that once they get to camp, 
that there's going to be two primary guys competing for the job. Charles Triance from Raleigh, North Carolina. Devin Bush had a great rookie campaign and played well until injured, yet so many fans seem to consider him a bust. I understand the implications of the huge trade-up to bring him in, but is it not a little early to think that move was a huge mistake? Bud Dupree was called Bud the Dud until he started to produce years later just as his contract was expiring. Is Bush that bad, or is he still recovering? Um, You know, going back to uh, Kevin Colbert's comments, um, he said about Devin Bush, um, the way he said it, um, he... I, I know uh, Devin Bush can play better because I have seen him play better. So, you know, the Steelers aren't going to give up on Devin Bush. Uh, you know, the, the, the ACL injury that he sustained is a serious one, especially um, even more so maybe for a player who survives on the field with speed, quickness, and athleticism. So, um, you know, but, um, Devin Bush, I almost said Bud Dupree. Devin <laughs> Bush went from being a player as a rookie uh, who was getting to the football with instinct, quickness, and speed um, to a guy who you know, had a little bit of that quickness and speed um, taken from him by the injury. And you know, the other thing is the injuries in front of Bush on the defensive line. Um, you know, no Tyson Alualu after the early in the second regular season game. Stephon Tuitt never played a snap. And so, you know, those are the guys who the defensive linemen, the interior defensive linemen are the guys charged with, you know, keeping um, a lot of the opposing offensive linemen off the inside linebackers so those guys can run around and make the tackles. So I think that there was uh, uh, some things that came together uh, that can help explain Bush's bad season or subpar season or whatever adjective adjective you want to use to describe it. Um, but as you know, if Bush played last year the way he played as a rookie, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So to Kevin Colbert's point, you know, we saw him by we, I mean the Steelers um, decision makers saw him play at a level that they believed was worthy of where they drafted him already in the NFL. And so getting back to that isn't as onerous, I think, as hoping that a guy that you invested that draft capital in can get to, you know, at any point in his career. So, you know, if we're still having this conversation, you know, Devin Bush looked awful uh, at this time next year, um, you know, then it's a different, I think then it's a different way of looking at it. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I seem to recall pretty recently the Steelers hiring a new linebackers coach that has a pretty good track record as far as developing some younger talent in the NFL. So maybe there's some optimism there as far What's as getting name? Bush. Uh, Brian Flores, I believe. Could be wrong there. I though. think, well, um, you're not wrong about hiring him and his um, area of expertise, but it's more outside linebackers. Gotcha. That's why you're the expert labs, and I'm just an idiot who reads from a sheet of paper. <laughs> DJ Clacamp from Erie, Pennsylvania. You mentioned in a prior asked and answered that the Steelers may look to sign a veteran running back in the offseason to add depth to the position. Being from Erie, I would love to see James Conner return. Are the bridges burned between James and the Steelers? 
burned or blown up, um, I wouldn't <laughs> drive my try to drive my car over them. Um, you know, sometimes it's just best. You know, there are, there are certain situations where both the player and the team are better off staying together. In other situations, um, it's better off if the team and the player part ways. And I think the James Conner and the Steelers situation uh, is falls into the latter uh, category. Um, you know, I just think that, uh, you know, trying to revisit that, uh, it, it, it's not in the best interest of anyone. Um, you know, root for James Conner, uh, uh, follow his career, you know, all that good guy, um, you know, hope that he, he does well and stays healthy and all that stuff. But uh, if I'm the Steelers, I'm looking for someone else. And if I'm James Conner, I'm looking for somewhere else. Yeah, he'll forever be one of Pittsburgh's favorite sons, but you're spot on. It's just best to move on for both parties' sake. I mean, he did great mm-hmm. in Arizona last year, and the Steelers clearly have found an answer at the running back position, at least in the starter uh, part of the depth chart, too. And you don't and you don't want to bring him back as a backup. I, I just, you know, it's his career isn't at that point right. where, um, so like I said, they're, they're just better off apart. Antonio Peluso from Whitby, Ontario, Canada. When the Steelers traded Melvin Ingram to the Chiefs, I thought they were to receive a conditional sixth-round pick in, in this year's draft. Were the terms of that condition met? Yeah, the Steelers will get Kansas City's sixth-round pick. That is one of the six picks they have uh, right now going into the 2022 draft. They have picks in the first, second, and third round, one in the sixth, and two in the seventh. Uh, Kevin Colbert believes they're going to get a compensatory pick uh, when those are awarded here, probably sometime before the end of March, middle of March. And uh, so they'll end up with seven picks, uh, you know, depending on how they're uh, allocated over the seven rounds. Uh, But yes, they will have a sixth round pick of the Kansas City Chiefs. Mike Paraska from Suffolk, Virginia, asks, if a prospective draft pick refuses to play in his college bowl game, do you think that it negatively impacts their evaluations from NFL teams? Um, you know, I really think it depends on the player. Uh, you know, I know that uh, Kevin Colbert has said that, you know, if everything else was equal, the Steelers would favor the guy who didn't skip his college, college's bowl game. Uh, my experience is that it's so very rare comes to, is the situation where everything else is equal. Right. You know, usually at some point in the, evaluate, in the evaluation process or the grading process, there's something determined uh, that separates guys, whatever it might be. Uh, and so, uh, you know, again, maybe, but I don't think it's a big deal. You know, if, if for example... Um, you know, Pat Fryermuth last season had skipped Penn State's bowl game. They're not not picking him because of that. I mean, if um, so, uh, you know, yeah, I, mean, I doubt it. You have plenty of evidence before that bowl game to tell you that, for example, Pat Fryermuth can play tight end at the next level. You don't need that one extra right. bowl game to really validate it. But I think you're right. There's some guys that, you know, maybe struggled a bit through the year that needs that extra game in a big atmosphere to, to push them over the edge. Mm-hmm. Maybe. David Pollard yes. from Warrington, Kentucky. 
John Stallworth won the NFL Comeback Player of the Year Award in 1984 after his 11th NFL season. How does Joe Burrow win the same award at age 25 and after playing only two seasons? Okay, um, NFL Comeback Player of the Year Award is given according to the verbiage attached to it by the league. Uh, and I'm quoting here, typically to a player who shows perseverance in overcoming adversity from not being able to play the previous season. So it's not a lifetime achievement award kind of thing. You know, Joe Burrow, now John Stallworth, obviously, um, you know, multiple-time Pro Bowl guy, uh, four Super Bowl rings, uh, Super Bowl fourteen was a huge difference maker in that Steelers victory over the Rams. So when he was injured in 83, came back in 84, um, that kind of showcased his value to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Joe Burrow may not have had many years in the league, but he plays quarterback. Um, he's a first overall pick. And the Cincinnati Bengals were two different teams um, before and after he was injured that season. So, you know, it's not a lifetime achievement award. Uh, I had no problem with Joe Burrow winning the Comeback Player of the Year award based on the fact that he had that bad knee injury uh, the previous season and then took his team uh, to the division championship the next season. The, the award is given out or voted on before the playoffs. So, you know, what the Bengals did in the playoffs wouldn't have uh, impacted the vote. But it certainly validated but, uh, it. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Ron Williams from Astoria, Oregon, asks, if it was up to you and only you, would you retire the Steelers' number seven jersey? Uh, if, it was up, if it was up to me and only me, there would be no more jerseys retired <laughs> by the Steelers. And, uh, and I'm, not, um, I'm not making fun of Ron or anything. He asked me what I think, um, and this is what I think. And, um, you know, when you look at the Steelers' history, uh, both their history uh, as a team and winning and winning championships and putting guys in the Hall of Fame, as well as, you know, how they view this particular thing, this retiring the jersey thing. There's two jerseys retired. You know, Ernie Stautner, uh, his was retired in 1964, back before the Steelers had even won as much as the division championship. And all due respect to the Steelers, um, I think that that was a, uh, it was done to kind of, I don't know, join the club in terms of other teams that had won things and retired jerseys and, you know, had a, I won't yeah, had something of a glorious history. Okay, so the Steelers, I think at that point, were reaching 1964. The other jersey they retired was Joe Green's number 75. And that was done, let me say this too, the Steelers contacted other guys from those four Super Bowl teams, other Hall of Famers and asked them what they thought of that. And Jack Ham and Swan and, you know, I don't know who else they um, talked to, but Mel Blunt was one, I think. Uh, they all said that, yes, Joe Green was head and shoulders above the rest of us, so to speak, in terms of what he meant to the turnaround of the franchise, uh, that team, uh, that group of players. And so they were all in favor of uh, his jersey being retired as well. Okay, so now you got the two. Now where do you go after that? Who's next? Is it Blunt, who was such a dominant corner that they had to make rules to limit his effectiveness? 
is a Jack Ham who, when the Hall of Fame uh, picked their 50th anniversary team of 22 guys, um, the only two outside linebackers on that team were uh, Jack Ham and a guy who played for the Giants. Oh, yeah, Lawrence Taylor. Rings a bell. Um, yeah, or is it Franco Harris who – before he arrived in 72, the Steelers stunk. Uh, and during his, you know, tenure, he carried them to, you know, I don't know, their two Super Bowl championships easily, the first two. Um, he was at the end of, uh, the other end of that play. What was that called? Oh, yeah, the Immaculate Reception. That rings a bell, too. Um, yeah. Um, so you see where I'm going with this. Oh, what yeah. about the quarterback who has four rings, was 4-0? in Super Bowls. Bradshaw, I think, was his name. Uh, so there's, you know, what about Troy? You know, what about Lambert? So you can't retire them all. And I just think now when you start picking among um, these guys, you're kind of subconsciously ranking them in your own mind. And, and you know, parents don't ever want to rank their kids. You know, I like this one over this one or... And so you love them all equally. Maybe you love them all differently, but you love them all equally. And I think that's the way the Steelers look at those guys. I also think that's why they created the Hall of Honor. Right. And so that's a way to honor and remember these players, you know, into posterity without this, you know, Jersey retiring thing, which I just wouldn't do anymore because, as I said, I think you're picking and choosing among your own children, and I, I just don't think it's it's uh, wise, nor do I think it's necessary. Is it safe to assume that you apply the same line of thinking as far as statues outside of the stadium? The chief is good enough, and there's no more that you need. You know, we're not picking between favorite kids again, right? Well, and and I would never. I don't think you you know you put a player out there um, again unless it's Joe Green, and then you know you're back to the. No, I wouldn't do any more statues either. I mean, the Chiefs just perfect. Just sucking on that big fat stogie out there. It's beautiful. Yep. Yep. Don Stitzenberg from Longboat Key, Florida. I have been a Steelers fan since my grade school days in the 1950s. I remember my excitement of listening to Steelers games on the radio, and a defensive back named Jack Butler seemed to intercept a pass in every game. Was he really that good, or did my childhood enthusiasm exaggerate his actual performance? Uh, Don, Jack Butler really was that good. And. You know, your me your memory, your childhood memory of Butler seeming to intercept a pass every game. Well, he had 52 interceptions in 104 games. Wow. So mathematically, <laughs> he intercepted a pass every other game. And that's uh, – and it was in the 50s when NFL teams ran the ball in first and second down all the time. I mean, there was only um, – in, in – Two, over the 57 and 58 seasons, Jack Butler had a combined 19 interceptions, okay? So in those two seasons, there were only three quarterbacks in the entire NFL combined over those two seasons who attempted even 300 passes in the season. So there weren't a lot of opportunities either, you know, within a game that the ball was in the air where you could make the interception. So... Yes, Jack Butler was a takeaway machine, um, and he's in the Hall of Fame. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and fifty, think about that: fifty-two interceptions in a hundred and four games. It's absurd. That's yes, it is ridiculous.
Maybe his number should be retired too. Let's throw, <laughs> throw no, a statue out there. Let's throw, let's throw him in to that conversation. There's another guy. I think he's deserving. He certainly has the numbers to back it up. And finally, Butch Arnold from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania asks, with all the questions and talk about how bad our offensive coordinator is, it made me wonder if you can ever remember a time when Steelers fans seemed happy or satisfied with an offensive coordinator. Uh, no. I mean, maybe <laughs> there have been. No, seriously, I that's, know, I know, that's I a know. good point. Um, and there have been some periods within each of the offensive coordinators' tenures where you know, they weren't hated. Um, but a blanket satisfaction over the course of the entire guy's career, no. That has just never happened. It seems like in I, retrospect, that's when Steelers fans give them the credit and respect. Like, they look back at Arians and they're like, man, he was great, one of the best. But in the moment, they were like, this guy stinks. Or, you know, they they like him because they hate the other guy more. Yeah, right. You know, uh, and... Um, here's a here's a bonus question for you, young Tom. Oh no! The Dirty Dozen, twelve offensive coordinators in franchise history. Yes. Hmm? Can I name them? Yeah. All right. Here we go. I'm going to try. All right. We're going to go with Tom Moore, uh, Joe Walton, uh, okay. Ron Earhart, Chan okay. Daly, uh, Ray Sherman. Uh, wow! Outstanding. Kev- Kevin Gilbride. I'm I'm on the right path, right? Yeah. Uh, Mike yes, Malarkey, are. Ken Wisenhunt, uh, BA, uh, Todd Haley, Feekner in Canada. Oh, outstanding. I cheated. Outstanding. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I also think it's somewhat interesting that the Steelers did not have an offensive coordinator uh, until 1982, 1983. Chuck finally, Chuck Noel finally designated one of his assistants an offensive coordinator because until then Chuck Noll was his own offensive coordinator. I just want to be clear that I would have been able to go back to Wisenhunt on my own, but once we go past Wisenhunt to Malarkey, I would have been lost. I don't even know who some of these people are. <laughs> Maybe that's telling on myself, but hey, I wasn't even born yet, Labs. And I hate you for that. <laughs> That'll do it for this edition of Asked and Answered. Always a treat. Thanks for giving us a listen. We'll be back again next week. For Bob Labriola, I'm Tom Offerman, and we will talk to you next time.